Hey, this is Quentin Moore, and I'm the pastor of the Father's House, and this is our podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I hope the message inspires you, gives you faith, and lets you see that God is truly moving in your life. We hope you enjoy today's message. Don't go there either. I love you. Thank you. Blessings. You have a treat this morning, and I've heard him. Uh, so I know where he's going, I think, unless God's flipped it. Uh, uh, this morning while Pastor Mark was preaching, Father Mark was preaching, I felt several weeks ago impressed to let Mark preach uh, in this pulpit, and uh, it, how he proved God correct this morning. A great preacher, and uh, saying to you, Mark, and I, I've got to keep from prophesying, uh, you're going to plant a great church. Amen. There is a group of people that need to have you as their pastor and listen to you teach them week after week after week after week. You're just, uh, this morning, again, I've known it for several years, but again, I just want to affirm to you, whatever my opinion's worth, uh, I just really want to encourage you and Danielle in that, right? Uh, Mark uh, will tell you a little more about it, but he grew up in a PK home, helped his dad for 17 years at church his dad was at for a long time. Then he pastored that church about six years and then moved to Tulsa and uh, covered a church there as an interim pastor for two years and uh, is now in Philly getting ready to plant a church. Uh, even as I thought about it this morning, and I had, I'm not even prepared to do it, but I thought, I wonder if we would be willing, some of us in here, to give to a monthly missions program uh, to plant a church in Philadelphia. I, I noticed that. I didn't catch that. I didn't catch that. See there? Um, <laughs> Anyway, that's just kind of, say it again, say it again. Uh, so I'm just wondering if anybody, it's going to do it. Uh, I just wonder if maybe I could plant a seed here this morning that when you hear me talk in the next few months about uh, Mark Arnstead, you'd, you'd know the young man and you'd know what I'm talking about. And because uh, it's on my heart to help that church plant in Philadelphia. And I've got a little experience with churches, but uh, so uh, Mark's here. He's got a great word from you, and he, he works for a, a, a messianic rabbi right now. Amen. His day job <laughs> is for men. And so I hope he tells you a little bit about that. Would you give Mark Arnstead a great big round of applause this morning? So good. It's so good to be with you uh, here in Hutch and honor to Bishop Q and to Annie and their hospitality. It's a privilege to, to be in the house and to, to share this pulpit. It's, it's a place that has been uh, a blessing to me and to my family. We first visited while we were in Tulsa and that was about three years ago. And so it's, it's great to be back and to be with you on a Sunday morning. Um, as Bishop said, uh, I'm currently working with Rabbi Jason Sobel, who's a Messianic rabbi. As he likes to say, he, uh, he's from the other holy land known as New Jersey. And, uh, but uh, he has a heart uh, for especially Gentile believers to wrap their arms around and embrace our full inheritance that's available as we study and understand the Jewish roots of our faith. Our Savior Jesus walked the earth, earth as a Jewish rabbi. 
And uh, oftentimes we forget that. And so um, he's, he's a great, great man, a wonderful heart. And I do a lot of writing for him, copywriting, editing, things like that. And so this, is, this has been a, a good season for us where we've seen the faithfulness of God as we prepare uh, to plant a church in Philadelphia. And so I appreciate your prayers as we, as we walk through this season. Welcome to All Saints Day. Um, I know we all celebrated Halloween and got dressed up like witches and warlocks last night. I'm just teasing. I'm joking. Um, You'll find I say a lot of off-color things. Um, But yesterday was actually Reformation Day. Let's be holy. It was Reformation Day, and today is All Saints Day. And You have a a wonderful service, I think, planned for this evening. If you'll turn with me to 1 John chapter 3, we're going to read our text for All Saints Day. 1 John chapter 3, starting at verse 1. It's just three, three verses there. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. Everybody say now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we come to you in the name of your precious son, Jesus, and we say that you are good and your mercy endures forever. We thank you for your kindness to us, your patience with us, and your presence among us. We pray right now that the presence of the Holy Spirit would be unleashed in this house. Break me wide open, I pray this morning. I wouldn't get caught up in my notes. I wouldn't get caught up in, in, in my, when my thoughts wouldn't be, but you would speak through me, anoint my lips to preach, but anoint all of our ears to hear. Soften our hearts, I pray, that the good gospel of Jesus would find deep root in our soul and bear much fruit, and that that fruit would remain. I bless this pastor and his wife. I bless this house and pray that your continued continued favor would rest upon it and that this community would recognize there's something holy and special about the Father's house. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. So my story is that I am a Pentecostal PK from that glorious grand land of New York, born in New York City and bred in the Hudson Valley, so don't hold it against me. Um, The fact is, when you grow up in a pastor's home, you are in church five, six, and seven days a week, especially when you're educated in a Christian school and your mom's a principal, and they have a paddle. So you know all about that, and from... You know, Bible classes in school Monday to Friday and Sunday school on Sunday and church on Sunday night and midweek and youth group. I am as immersed and caught up in that life as you could possibly imagine. And I'm grateful for it. I'm blessed because of it. I'm standing here a fourth generation Pentecostal. A bunch of Norwegians got on a boat and came over to the United States in the 1920s. And we're involved in Pentecostal work in New York City a hundred years ago. And because of that, I'm standing here today and I'm incredibly grateful for that heritage. But this text this morning starts with one very bold word, see. I almost wish there was an exclamation point right after the word see. Because I think we can plow through life 
with all these blessings that I just even mentioned in my own situation, we can just plow through life on autopilot, and every once in a while, we need a Holy Ghost-filled apostolic, see, ho, look at this. What does he say? What kind of love is this? What kind of love the Father has given to us? For all of the blessings in my life, those blessings are a double-edged sword because sometimes we're so familiar with them that we get used to them. We can be so familiar with the love of God and the goodness of God and the provision of God and the grace of God. And heaven help you when you're a preacher. It comes off the tongue so easy. You say it and you practice it and you rehearse it that the words start to lose their punch. They start to lose their power. The old saying says what? Familiarity breeds contempt. And I'm not saying there's contempt, but I want to tweak that and say familiarity breeds casualness. And so the first thing I want to say to you this morning on All Saints Day is don't ever lose your amazement. Don't ever stop being amazed at amazing grace. Don't ever stop saying how wonderful, how marvelous, and my song shall ever be. How wonderful, how marvelous is my Savior's love for me. I want to draw your attention to the fact that it says the love the Father has given to us. Listen, I'm glad that Jesus saved a wretch like me. I'm glad that he knows my name. I'm glad for all of that. I'm glad that I'm not just lost in a sort of mass of people. But listen, Jesus did not come to save Mark. He came, the scripture says, to save for himself a people. You are part of a holy nation. You are not the body of Christ. You are a member of the body of Christ. And the fact is, when we read our New Testament and you see the word you, the Greek translation there is y'all. See, we all read it and says, you know, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. Oh, bless God. He said, when I was on the cross, I was on his mind. Hallelujah. Well, here, let's back up a little bit. For by grace, y'all been saved through faith. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you know, well, uh, you know, you are members of that and you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Y'all are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever noticed that you can feel the presence of God wherever you go? But when y'all get together, there's something different. That's why you're fighting to get in the building. You're fighting to get in the building because God bless y'all who are online. But there's something tangible that's felt when the people of God get together because you are collectively the body of Christ. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost collectively. And so we don't ever want to lose this plurality, this sense of community and corporateness that exists, the love of God that has been shown to us, given to us. And I love the fact that this love is how we should be called the children of God. One of the great saints on on All Saints Day, it's appropriate to draw our attention, to St. Bede. St. Bede the venerable St. Bede was a saint who lived in the late 7th and early 8th century in England. He was a monk. 
and writing about this text in 1 John, speaking about the fact that this is the love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, the Father and the children. Last time I checked, I'm preaching at the Father's house. Bishop. I thought this was called the Father's house. Listen to what St. Bede says about this particular text. Our creator is so great that he has allowed us both to know and to love him. Let's just stop at his comma for a moment. All those times that I spent in Bible class, memorizing the books of the Bible, we had to memorize Psalm 119. If you all know, you know, 176 verses. It's a privilege to know, but it's an even greater privilege to love. And the angst that I felt as a young man in my 30s who had been ordained into ministry and was working full. I graduated from, I got my undergraduate degree on a Saturday morning and on Sunday morning, I started working at the church. I had spent my adult life serving full time in ministry. And by the time I hit 33 years of age, I was filled with angst. I was filled with, 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 with anger and frustration and callousness. I was clinically depressed. And it's because I spent my whole life in this world thinking that I had to know a thing. I had to know information. I had to be right. I had to be correct. My doctrine had to be lined up, I's dotted, T's crossed. And I hadn't really gotten that love thing right. Don't ever lose your amazement at the love of God. How great is our creator that he's allowed us not just to know him, but to love him. Not just to get facts and information and intellectual development, but we love him with our heart and our soul. The creator is so great. He's allowed us to know him and to love him and moreover to love him as children love a wonderful father, he says. It would be no small thing if we were able to love God in the way that a servant loves his master or a worker, his employer, but loving God as father is greater still. And I'm going to tell you, it takes divine love to pull this thing off. It takes divine love Agape, it would be in the Greek. And this is not merely affection or likability. This is not, oh, you strike my fancy. Ooh, there's chemistry. That's eros. That might be philo, but that is not agape. Agape says, you could be my enemy and I love you. You could go wrong against me and I love you. As a matter of fact, it seems like Paul would say this about y'all. You were aliens and you were hostile. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, you're hostile. Enmity is the fancy language for it, right? We had issues. We were not likable. We were not likable. Think about this when you're tempted to condemn yourself. Think about this when you're ready to beat yourself up because you did it again. You failed again. You sinned again. And you're ready to just punch yourself right in the throat for it. That's how we do in the Northeast, man. We punch you in the throat. (laughs) Think about it. 
Have you ever been reluctant to wake up on a Sunday morning and go to church because you know how you lived the past week? Have you ever maybe made it to the church house, but you're not going to sing that song. You're not going to raise that hand. You're not going to say amen because you know how you lived the past week. And so what happens is when we condemn ourselves, our tendency is to withdraw. And you got to remember, before you were even trying to do it right, he was loving you. So now when you're trying and failing, you think he loves you less? We got to remember this when we want to condemn other folk. I think sometimes we beat ourselves up because it gives us permission to beat up other people. I'm going to be hard on myself. That gives me license to be hard on you. How about y'all stop being hard on everybody? And understand y'all are unlikable. Y'all are hostile. Y'all are enemies. And God still loves you. You see, when we condemn ourselves, we want to withdraw. And when we condemn others, we want to shun. We want to push them away. But here's the reality. It says this, that the Father's love was given to us that we should be called the children of God. But notice this, the next phrase. And I love the punctuation, which is not Holy Ghost anointed or inspired, but it's helpful. That we should be called the children of God, semicolon, end of the thought. And here's the next thought. And so we are. Let me tell you something. You're not a child of God, and we are not the children of God because we tried, because we deserved it, because we were smart enough to figure it out. We are because he says so. In other words, let me, let me, let me drop a little maybe helpful, encouraging thing for you. The most important and essential things that happen to us on a spiritual and supernatural plane happen when we are passive. The bulk and the essence of spiritual life is our passivity, not our ambition. In other words, as Paul would say in Ephesians 2 and 13, when you, when y'all were far off, you were brought near. Hear that language? You were brought near. Y'all didn't come. You were brought. I'll even say something more blasphemous. You didn't make a decision. You didn't make a decision. You were brought. Or as Jesus would say, you didn't choose me. I chose you. So how about this one? Romans 5 and 10, what does it say? It says, while we were his enemies, he was reconciling us. While we were hostile and fighting and kicking and screaming and disrespecting, he was working. He was making it happen, not because we were qualified, but because he is love. Now, here's the thing. The first point this morning is, Don't lose your amazement at all that. Don't let that fight for that because your praise is anchored in that. Your prayer is anchored in that. Your hope is anchored in that. It's lifting up your eyes beyond the hills from whence cometh your help. So don't lose your amazement for this love. 
And of course, we can grow familiar with this and get numb to it, but there's a flip side to the coin, and the flip side is this. We can rehash this so much that we get this idea in our head that mission accomplished. We used to sing a song way back in the day, I'm saved, saved, saved. And it was this this essence that came through, like, it's a done deal. It's done happened for me. In other words, we get this idea that somehow our rescue from sin was the goal and the point of it all. And I came all the way to Hutch, Kansas to tell you that is not the case. The point of the cross was not to get you out of hell. The point of the cross and your salvation was not to get you into heaven. Got very quiet. So I'm going to tell you this. Yes, don't lose your amazement, but here's the second thing. Don't lose your hunger. We sang another old song, Oh, to be like thee. Oh, to be like thee. You see, the text says this. It says that we are the children of God. We are God's children. It says in verse 2, we're God's children now. Everybody shout now. now. And what we will be has not yet appear. Somebody say not yet. We can get so caught up in the now, we forget about the not yet. We can spend so much time shouting and celebrating as we should. We can get so caught up in our amazement as we should with what is true of us right now. God has said it and that has changed us. Listen, God's proclamation will transform you. And we can celebrate that as we should. But don't let the celebration of the now negate the not yet. Don't let your amazement with what God has done sate you, satisfy you to the fact that you're no longer hungry for what is yet to come. Yes, oh my gosh, stop and look at this. What kind of love is this that we should be called the children of God? But... It has not yet appeared what we shall be. You are children of God, but there's something else coming your way. Today we remember those lives, those men and women who beautifully and practically expressed the divine life. They expressed the life of Jesus and brought his divinity and his goodness to bear on the world. We call them saints. These are men and women who were not just saved. They were salvific. They brought salvation to the world. They brought healing to the world. They brought wholeness and rescue to the world. In other words, they were not simply amazed at what God had done for them and to them. They were hungry to become what God had ordained them to be. You see, it's easy for us to assume that saintliness is for the elite. It's easy for us to assume that whether it's Mother Teresa or St. Bede or St. Francis, oh, these are the elite. These are, we'll say for all the men, these are the green berets in the church. These are the ones that can actually do the really tough stuff. When they talk about the desert fathers and mothers, they tell uh, the stories of extreme, what they call asceticism, this, this hardship. You know, I have a hard time fasting lunch. Can I get a witness up in the house? Come on. Whew. 
I have hard, you know, fasting the afternoon snack. I have a hard time with that. There are people who would stand on a pole for 40 days in prayer and meditation. We say, well, oh my goodness, that's not for me. And what happens is we're presented with a false choice between extreme asceticism and these incredible feats that happen or just saying yes at the altar call and just waiting for Jesus to come get you. Those are not your choices. Your choice is not to be a hermit, go out in the desert and eat like crackers. Or say a prayer and get back to business as usual. Those are not our choices. No, no, no. We need to have a hunger that goes beyond our rescue. It's also easy for us to presume that all this good stuff, all this Jesusness, it's just going to happen when we get to heaven. You know, Jesus got that Gandalf wand and he a rod. He's going to, there you go, just like me. Fix it. And what happens is, you ever heard the phrase lame duck session of Congress? I'm not going to talk about politics, don't worry. I think so many Christians end up living their Christian life like a lame duck session of Congress. We're just waiting for the next thing to come in, and we don't really have to do a whole lot because there's not much on the line. One of my favorite saints, contemporary Protestant saints, is Dallas Willard. Dallas, when I was at, had bottomed out in my life, is the only time that I had um, sort of vision of Jesus was sitting with a Dallas Willard book. And Dallas says this, he says, American Christianity has spent so much effort telling people how they could get to heaven when they die, when they should have been telling people how they could get heaven into them while they're still alive. point of the Christian life is not to get us out, it's to get the kingdom to come. The point of the Christian life is not escaping this, it's bringing heaven to bear on the earth. Revelation 21 and 2 says what? I looked up into heaven and I saw New New Jerusalem coming down. Not me going up, heaven's coming down. Revelation 22 and 20, Maranatha, Jesus come quickly, not get me the hell out of here. That's not the prayer of the saints. The prayer of the saints is kingdom come, Jesus come. Show up in this space and transform this space. If you have your Bible or your phone or what have you, turn over to John chapter 17. John 17 is where we find the Lord's prayer. Matthew 6 is where we would find the Our Father, where we would find the prayer that the disciples needed to pray. But in John 17, we find the prayer, the high priestly prayer of Jesus that he prayed that we would be one even as the Father and he are one. But his prefiguratory remarks in the third verse are where I want your attention to be. And notice the scripture is explicit. Very rarely can we find a text that is this plain. It is this plain. I love clarity. I'm addicted to clarity. It is a sinful thing. Another one of my favorite heroes, Eugene Peterson, said this. He said, our sermons suffer from a lack of ambiguity. 
John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that when you die, you'll look over your shoulder at those flames of hell and be ushered into your puffy cloud where the harp awaits and you can sing hill song for a billion years. <laughs> oh, wait, I'm sorry. That was a new living translate. I'm sorry. Let's get back to the the B-I-B-L-E. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I don't see anything about dying. I don't see anything about heaven. I don't see anything about hell. Can I tell you this? Eternal life is not a location. It's a relationship. It doesn't start when you die physically. It starts when you die spiritually. Romans chapter 6 says that you were buried with him in baptism. Consider yourself dead is what the apostle says. It's at that death that eternal life begins. It doesn't have to do with your physical pulse. It has to do with the surrender of yourself. When you respond by grace to grace, you will go to a place of death because apart from that, you cannot rise, as it says in Romans 6, to newness of life. That newness of life is eternal life. If you're waiting for it, you're, here's the thing. We got it backwards. Can I go just a deep place for a minute? Mm. I'm not, you know what? I've been here once. I may not come back, but I'm going to say this. I didn't say it in the first service. We got it, the script flip, and here's how we did it. We told everybody that they were saved and eternal life was coming. The fact is eternal life has started, and we're waiting for salvation. I don't walk around saying I'm saved. I'm rescued, I'm in the body of Christ, but I'm awaiting salvation, I'm living eternal life. You see, the goal of Christianity is for us to be so conformed to and caught up into the life of God so that we could actually participate with him now in what he's doing now. You remember the story about Adam in the Garden of Eden. God gave him a job, and God said, I want you to go and name all the animals. And the scripture says this. It says, what Adam called them, that was their name. Ooh, that reminds me of the text in 1 John. And so they were. The question is, how is it that Adam could walk up to a giraffe and say, giraffe, and that giraffe's like, cool, got it. How does that happen? It's because before the fall... Man so carried the image of God unsullied and unstained by sin that when Adam walked up to the giraffe, the giraffe thought God walked up to the giraffe. So when Adam says giraffe, the giraffe says, yes, Lord, thinking he's looking at the son of God, which may be why in the genealogy of Jesus, it ends with Adam, comma, the son of God. If we're going to bring new creation, if Eden is on its way back to the present from the future, wouldn't it be nice if there were a bunch of atoms walking around that so carried the image of Jesus that when you walked up to a situation, you could call a thing a thing and it became that thing because you said it, not because of who you are, but because of who you've been conformed to. Thirdly, Don't ever stop looking for Jesus. Don't ever stop looking for him. Back in our text in 1 John, notice this. When he appears, 
We shall be like him because, here's our key word, because. How if you want to be like Jesus, I'll wait for a hand to go up and participate. Okay, half y'all were praying, you'll be at the altars. Okay. We shall be like him because, here's the reason, we shall see him as he is. Notice is not see him as we assume him to be. There's something of the humility that's required to see Jesus as he is rather than we prefer him to be. See Jesus as he is rather than we've always been told he was. And when we see him, we'll be like him. This gets back to that passivity thing. Seeing is not doing, it's taking in. It's bringing it into oneself. When I see something, I haven't done anything as much as it's happened to me. When you see him as he is, something will happen to you that will transform you, that will change you. Now, here's, here's the fact. I would get all of our uh, expository preachers upset and all of our traditional uh, thinkers and readers. Of the, yes, this text is speaking to the age to come. There is no doubt about that. I do know that there is a moment coming, and that's why I'll be hungry till I die. There's a moment coming that will not come in this life that is going to be absolutely spectacular. And listen, eye has not seen, ear has not hear, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. So I'm not taking that away from the text. I'm simply saying yes, and there's something else in the text. And that is we can see Jesus now. Which means I can start to become like him now simply by seeing him now. Because God wants to change the world now. I'm not waiting to die, to go to heaven, to see, to get the wand, and then I'm like him. And then what? Hang on. No. He is coming. The kingdom is coming. How is the kingdom coming? The kingdom is coming into me when I see Jesus and I'm made like him. And as I go into all the earth. I'm bringing that to bear on the world. The fact is we can see Jesus in scripture. Crack that Bible. We can see Jesus in our prayer. We can see Jesus in our praise. But can I tell you, we can see Jesus at this table. There's real presence at this table. When we are waiting, remember those good old days when you used to wait in line to get to the table? Come on, you remember those good old days in February when you used to wait in line to get to the table? Sometimes we reduce that to an exchange when it's really meant to be an encounter. You're not coming to this table to get something. You're coming to this table to meet someone. You're not coming to this table to do something. You're coming to this table to see someone. When you get in line, it's like going to Barnes and Noble and you're going to meet Stephen King to sign your book. When you get in line, it's like you got a backstage pass to see the beach and Paul McCartney is going to sign your shirt. When you get in line for the Eucharist, you're getting ready to see someone. And what you are is based on what you eat. When you come to this table and you're partaking of his flesh and his blood, you will become what you eat. You'll see Jesus in the least of these, in the poor and in the prisoner. When did we see you? They asked. When were you naked and we clothed you? As much as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. You see Jesus in your row when you look at your brothers and your sisters. 
That's why we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together because as we get together, we see Jesus and when we see Jesus, we will be like him and when we're like him, we can work with him. When we are like him, we can represent him. When we are like him, we can walk in his authority and it won't harm us and it won't harm others. You see, all of these encounters have the power to make us like Jesus because they reveal Jesus and they nudge us just a little bit further along. Turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. You see, it was when this angry, depressed Pentecostal PK living in New York realized that the essence of of being a Christian was not doing and it was not even being. That's the one that trips us up. I had spent my life thinking I had to do things or not do other things, right? Show up every time the doors are open, make sure you tithe, make sure you give submission. Don't do any of the fun things because that would be a problem. You're not holy. Appearance of evil and all that. We got a verse for that. Doing, doing, and what happens is rightfully, you start to get pushback on that. No, 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 no. It's the beginning of our our sermon this morning. No, you are the children of God because he loves you, because he does it. And at that point, we realize that our being transcends our doing. It's more important what's true of us than what we manage to eke out over the course of a week in our spiritual life. What's true of us is that God loves us and that his proclamation has made us something we could not do on our own. That's awesome. But if I spend all my time focused on the being, here's what I'll miss out on, the becoming. You see, Christianity is about being that brings us into a becoming that enables faithful doing. And we've got to stop pitting the one against the other. Look at 2 Corinthians 3, starting at verse 12. Since we have such a hope... We are very bold. Not like Moses who had put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Here we go. And we all, say y'all, with unveiled face, beholding. Beholding is seeing. Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is spirit. Friends, my prayer for you on All Saints Day 2020 is that you will realize not just who you are, but who you are called to be, and you are called to be saints, and this life of faith is one of becoming saints. Let's pray together. Father, I'm very grateful for the privilege to stand before your people. I pray that your heart, the beckoning of your heart, has connected with those who need to be re-amazed. 
I pray for the person who's sitting in the room this morning, the person who's watching this online, and, and they've, they, their love has grown cold. I pray, God, that right now you'd quicken that amazement. You'd, by your spirit, awaken that thing in them. You'd open up blinded eyes to see your love and your greatness and your glory for all that it is. I pray for those of us who may have gotten uh, content and settled in all the worst sorts of ways and used to the fact that we're saved and used to your love and, and thinking everything's good and everything's done. God, I pray that that holy hunger would be quickened in them. I pray that they'd realize blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They'll be satisfied and then they'll hunger and thirst from right, for righteousness. I pray that they'd have that cry of the psalmist that says, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs for you, O God. May that be rising up in this house, O God. Keep us amazed and keep us hungry by your grace. But God, as we come to this table this morning, I pray we'd see you. I pray we'd be looking for you. I pray that you touch our eyes so that we would see you and be changed and transformed from one grade of glory to another. To the honor of your name. Hey, I hope the message truly inspired you today. If it did, do a couple things for me. Subscribe to our show and it'll just drop right into your feed and you can stay current with all that we're doing. The second thing is, is if you've been impacted by this ministry, you can click the link right there in front of you and you can become one of our givers and that'll help us to keep spreading the gospel and the good news around the world. Everyone needs to hear the good news right now, maybe more than any other time. So God bless and I'll see you next time. Yeah.